Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Laura Slattery and on this week's show we'll be looking at a new snapshot of house prices. We'll also be studying the fortunes of ultra-high net worth individuals, or we might just call them the ultra-rich for short. Liam Bailey from property consultants Knight Frank will be on the line later to talk about the company's new wealth report. Just how many multimillionaires are there in Ireland now and how many are there likely to be in the future? But first up, the latest house price report from myhome.ie and Davy Research shows there was a slowdown in the growth in asking prices for residential properties in the first part of this year. It follows recent data from the Central Statistics Office that showed house prices, that's the amount that was paid in completed transactions, fell in the first two months of 2015, with the decline steeper in Dublin than it was in the rest of the country. Here to talk about what this all means for the market is the Chief Economist for Davy Research, Cunnell McCullough. Cunnell, growth in asking prices for houses has slowed down, but you say this isn't the start of a decline. Um, well, yeah, so we saw the CSO index suggest prices fell, uh, particularly in Dublin, early in 2015. So I suppose the question everyone is kind of asking themselves is, well, how long will this uh, be maintained? How severe will the uh, falls be? And obviously this is in the context of the new rules from the Central Bank on uh, the more highly leveraged mortgage lending. And we also had the end of the capital gains tax exemptions. <clears throat> so believe it or not, 50% of housing market transactions last year were actually from cash buyers rather than rather than people with mortgages so those exemptions have gone are the cash buyers disappearing and therefore demand for houses as well so a lot of uncertainty in the market and you know the my home index it measures the price that people are putting up as an asking price on the website and for what it's worth uh, you know that appears to lead the CS index by one or two quarters so it gives a bit of a warning about where prices are going to go and it suggests the prices would fall in q1 back towards the end of 2014 when we saw asking prices fall back they're up a little bit in 2000 uh, and 15. So that suggests to us that we'll see prices broadly stable through the first half of the year. We can't rule out uh, more falls in the second quarter. But I think taking a step back and saying to yourself, well, what's really driving house prices? It's wages, it's affordability. And at five times average incomes, they certainly don't look cheap anymore. They're not at the kind of extreme valuations we saw during the Celtic Tiger years when house prices were selling for eight or nine times average incomes. Uh, but that's not necessarily... Um, overvalued either. So I think we're kind of just there, thereabouts. We wouldn't want to see a bubble start to emerge, but at the same time, I don't think we're going to see sustained declines from here. 
Okay, so would you describe this moderation as a positive development, in fact? Um, well, I think it has to be. I think if you have 21% house price inflation in Dublin, you can't keep that going very long without affordability getting stretched and a new bubble uh, forming. Uh, the central bank rules themselves, I think the jury is definitely out on what the impact on the mortgage market will be, the impact on the housing market. I think the kind of exemptions that are there for first-time borrowers, you're still allowed to take out a 90% loan-to-value mortgage if your house is uh, underneath €220,000 and the vast bulk of first-time buyers are beneath that. The average loan to first-time buyers last year was €163,000. So most of those people would be exempt from the rules. I think that's been largely forgotten in some of the pretty hysterical debate about what the impact might be. Um, so, you know, the rules may or may not have an impact. Um, and I suppose... And, you know, might there might there have been an impact on transaction levels, uh, you know, that people r- rushing to get through their transactions before the rules came into effect. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the thing I was going to come on to say was that the rules themselves may have led people to revise down their expectations of where house prices are going to go for the next three, four, five years. That kind of fear factor, the sense that the train is leaving the station, you need to get onto the housing market now or you'll never get on, uh, may have kind of gone away a little bit. But nonetheless, there will be people who got mortgage approvals towards the end of last year. They still have them. Uh, they're worried they may not get that approval again if it lapses after six months. And they may be actually rushing transactions early in 2015. Transactions levels are still up 45% on the kind of levels we saw early in 2014. So they're very strong. We certainly haven't seen any impact whatsoever so far in terms of transactions falling back or mortgage availability falling back. And if anything, mortgage approvals are up 60% in the first two months of 2015. So you're not really seeing it in transactions activity. You're seeing prices weaken a little. I'm not sure that's going to be sustained for very long. So mm-hmm. hopefully we're moving to a situation where house prices rise more in line with wages and those affordability constraints are, are kept in check. Has the lack of wage growth affected the market? Uh, yes. So, you know, wages have been broadly flat for the last two, three years. We haven't really seen any wage growth. That's not too surprising given the unemployment rate is still in double-digit territory, although moving mm. in the right direction. If you look at the figures, you can just about detect some wage growth in the kind of sectors you might expect it. Uh, The IT sector, for example, is an obvious one. We hear of labour shortages amongst the multinational companies in the IT sector. Uh, So there are a few signs of wage growth emerging, but the overall figures are pretty flat at the moment. Now, over the next couple of years, as the labour market continues to tighten, that demand for skilled professionals, IT workers, um, picks up, you will begin to see wage growth. And, you know, that will help affordability both in terms of buying a property or renting a property. Um, so that will support house prices. It hasn't done so so far, but it's something which I think most people would expect to slowly emerge over the next couple of years. So it's a busy market, but not one that's racing away with itself. But uh, <coughs> what, what's the impact of supply at the moment? Is, is there, you know, is, is there an undersupply in, in certain areas? Well, as well as just one of the more worrying developments of the the past couple of months is that some of the surveys relating to the construction sector suggest that house building activity has actually uh, fallen back quite quite a lot. If it's, you know, we built eleven thousand uh, homes last year, up from eight thousand the year before, but these are very low levels of home building. We need at least twenty five. Well, we think we need around twenty five thousand homes built per annum to meet the natural demand from demographics, the amount of households that uh, are formed naturally in the population. Now, the issue is there are building, new building regulations. Um, that might be one issue. It's hard to know just how material that is. But we saw a surge in 
uh, housing starts commencement, people applied to start building their home or building houses early in 2014. That work may have now uh, dried up or have been finished. And there's very few new housing um, uh, projects being started, it appears. Now, having said that, I think the construction industry back in the boom years is very much reliant on bank debt. That funding model is broken. I don't think many builders can expect to go into the bank and have almost their entire project uh, funded from uh, the bank itself. You know, it's a risky business development. It needs more equity. So there's a rake of issues, not just um, the building regulations, but finance, uh, the planning constraints that are out there, uh, the availability of land. And certainly there's questions about has NAMA been selling uh, land as aggressively as it might have mm-hmm. if it had sold land more aggressively early on in the recession we might have a few more houses here in Dublin uh, so there's a whole range of issues this is obviously very topical at the moment the government is launching its new um, uh, plans pretty shortly um, but I think at the moment it's a little bit worrying to see housing construction kind of slow as sharply as it appears to have done Okay. I mean, different groups always have, you know, different, uh, very conflicting feelings about what's going on in in the property market, depending on whether they're a tenant or an investor or would-be first-time buyer or or the person who bought at the top of the market. I mean, is there any particular group that's, you know, a little bit happier than the others at the moment, would you say? Um, Well, I think when you see house prices rising, generally people who own houses are, are in Ireland, if they're in negative equity, you certainly like to see that. And um, if selling houses, clearly good to have prices rising. But I think generally we probably think a little bit less about uh, the people who want to buy houses, the first-time buyers. Um, I almost get the sense that some people would recommend, uh, you know, we should uh, knock down houses to help force up house prices even more, which I think <laughs> would be a really bad idea. Um, I think we're probably overly focused on the price. And I think my idea of a functioning housing market is where people can buy houses at a... Um, a reasonable price and a reasonable level of indebtedness without overextending themselves and there's a kind of a functioning housing market where we have the right amount of homes built to satiate uh, demand and I sometimes think people think what we need to do is get back to where we were during the Celtic Tiger years wouldn't it be great to get house prices back up to where they were in 2007 but let's remember that was eight, nine times average incomes it wasn't sustainable and I think there's a growing realisation that you know we really can't expect to get prices back to those levels anytime soon. It wouldn't be desirable to do so. And the real way you solve uh, the difficulties in the property market is not by trying to stimulate demand or give people more money to buy houses with. It's by doing the right things to stimulate supply. And that's land availability. It's reforming the planning process. It's really asking ourselves whether these building regulations are really appropriate or not. And trying to get those housing completions up from 11,000 towards 25. Okay, so when people who are in negative equity hear that uh, prices are still 30, uh, 37%, is it below peak, that they shouldn't really see that as a target, that's something that's going to be necessarily closed in the, in the years ahead? No, it it's isn't. Um, we're five times average incomes in terms of valuation. In Dublin, that's 5.9 times. So these are pretty stretched valuations. It's very similar to the UK. So we weren't in the least bit surprised to see the Central Bank of Ireland follow the Bank of England's lead and bring in measures to stop uh, new first-time buyers leveraging up, taking on ever larger uh, levels of debt. And I think what you know we should aim for now really is that house prices li- rise more or less in line with wage growth. If they rise faster than that, we're going to start seeing a bubble forming again because affordability will be stretched. And there is a significant possibility of that happening. We've got very low ECB interest rates, the quantitative easing programme, a lot of investors and cash buyers maybe they don't have those capital gains tax exemptions, but they're comparing Irish residential property yields over 
they're choosing, will I buy a property and get 5% or will I leave that money in the bank and get one or even close to zero? Or if I buy a government bond, will I get 0.8%? So for many investors, residential property is still reasonably attractive in this kind of artificially low interest rate environment. And that certainly could, as Europe kind of languishes behind and doesn't recover and the ECB is slow to raise interest rates, it could raise the possibility of a bubble forming. And certainly the central bank hasn't been particularly successful in the past in stopping boom and bust. Uh, We'll see if the new mortgage lending rules are going to be better this time around. Okay, yes, it'll be interesting to see. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. And now, are you a member of the UHNWI Club? If you are, it means you're one of the 172,000 plus people in the world and about 825 people in Ireland assessed to have assets of $30 million or more. That's about €28 million. Euro. Um, Knight Frank, a global property consultancy that has just published its annual report on wealth in the world, is the company behind these figures. And on the line now, we have Liam Bailey, who is global head of research for the company. Liam, the report showed that Ireland had the slowest growth in numbers of these uh, ultra high net worth individuals over the decade to 2014. And we were behind even Spain and Portugal. Um, what, what's behind that that trend? I think um, the, the the period in question, so 2004-2014, I think uh, really um, doesn't flatter Ireland's um, uh, wealth creation or, um, or or economic growth. I think the the reality is um, Irish um, a lot of Irish wealth uh, creation during um, the first part of that period was uh, property-related, either development or investment. And the fact that um, you had or experienced such a significant crash and downturn back in sort of 2006, um, 7, 8, um, really impacted on um, the, the wealth of, um, of, the, of, of the wealthy um, part of your population. So I think the figures are slightly skewed because property was such a big component of uh, wealth portfolios um, over the past decade. Um, having said that, uh, if we look at um, the forecast for the next 10 years, um, we, we can see that actually at, the expectation is that the numbers of um, the very wealthy in Ireland will grow by about 20%, give or take, uh, over the next decade. And that's very much in line with uh, the rest of Europe and also very close to the UK and US uh, expectations. So I think there will be some more of a, a realignment, I think, over, over the next decade. Okay, and the, 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 the sort of the number of people who are expected to, to, to reach this, this level of wealth in the next decade, I think it's something like 158 people in Ireland. But it's a, it's a, it's, the wealth will come from a very different source, um, not property, but perhaps um, just entrepreneurs in, in the tech sector and elsewhere. Is, is that right? 
Well, this is it. I mean, I think, I mean, in general, um, you know, wealth creation uh, tends to follow um, economic um, growth patterns. And I think, you know, one of the big battles ahead for, um, for you know, for Dublin and for London and, and key cities across Europe is um, the, the ability of cities uh, to attract uh, new businesses, um, and particularly in the, in, in the sort of growth sectors. And I think in reality, if you look at what's been happening over the past, say, two years in, in Dublin, as the economy has, um, has begun to improve, you know, announcement after announcement uh, is made, which is, you know, and they're noted <laughs> with jealousy in, uh, in the UK um, around, you know, new businesses setting up or businesses moving to, to Ireland. Um, and I think there's, there's a very positive story to, um, to, to talk about. And of course, all of this activity tends to also feed into wealth creation over time. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we, we know that the growth of, of uh, ultra high net worth individuals, you know, suggests things are going really well for people at the top. But what does it say as, about the overall economy in, in, a, in a country? I think, I mean, as I say, um, wealth creation tends to sort of mirror um, economic growth. So, for example, if you look at the the regions in the world or the countries in the world with the most rapid uh, growth in their numbers of wealthy um, people, they tend to be uh, emerging markets. It tends to be Asia, um, even Africa and Latin America, because even from a low base, um, the growth in, uh, in people with significant fortunes mirrors the fact that these are the economies which are growing most rapidly. Um, and I think also that same pattern takes place uh, in a European or in an Irish context that when the economy is, is growing, um, uh, fortunes also seem um, tend to grow. So I think it does reflect uh, wider wealth creation um, over time. I, I think that you're right in terms of the, uh, the sources of that wealth will probably um, change uh, or will be slightly different over the next decade compared to the um, previous decade. And are there any particular countries to watch at the moment? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the really interesting ones to watch, um, are, you know, certainly outside of Europe are places like, um, um, you know, uh, Mongolia <laughs> in Asia, where you're seeing, you know, significant creation of wealth on the back of um, um, commodities um, and obviously exports uh, of those to, uh, to China. But also the same thing is happening in, uh, across uh, Africa, uh, and you're seeing, you know, uh, growth rates in uh, wealthy populations in places like Ghana or um, or Nigeria in in triple digits, you know, 100% plus in terms of their their growth in their um, their wealthy populations. But I think you know one of the interesting um, aspects of the research we've done in the Wealth Report is even in a, a decade's time, despite the fact that Europe um, and that includes um, Ireland as well. Uh, are lagging in terms of the rate of their growth um, of uh, wealthy people. Uh, Europe as a whole will still be the uh, the biggest um, concentration of wealthy people um, as of a single region uh, in the world. Okay, you know, that's interesting. Um, I think the report also mentions that although London is sort of in top spot at the moment in terms of the number of cities, uh, with the most uh, ultra high net worth individuals, but that New York is probably going to overtake it at, at a certain point. What's behind that? Yeah, I think what, you know, one of the, um, the issues we note in the report is this. Um, I think London, um, on most measures, uh, t- tends to be regarded as the, the most important city at the moment for the wealthy. It's got the biggest um, super rich population uh, globally. 
uh, New York is, uh, is, only, is only slightly behind. I think there's an expectation that over the next decade that New York will become more important to the world's wealthy and will probably um, uh, take that kind of top slot from London. Some of that comes back to domestic economic growth. I mean, there's no doubt that on a regional level, uh, the U.S. economy is just so much more dynamic than the European economy, and that obviously impacts on London's position. Um, but I think also in terms of, say, safe haven flows, um, there's a degree of uh, geopolitical and economic uncertainty around the world, and that tends to mean that people um, or increasing number of people invest uh, in other markets uh, for diversification uh, and protection of their, of their, their wealth. Uh, but also you see uh, migration of the wealthy to um, uh, markets that are regarded as slightly more safe havens. And I think New York is a real uh, sort of beneficiary of that process. Um, so probably uh, we'll take that top slot from London over time. Because we hear a lot about um, Russian oligarchs uh, buying up uh, luxury properties in, in London. Is, is that something that they will do in New York in, instead, or is that already happening? It's already happening to an extent. I think it, it tends to be a much smaller um, uh, trend um, compared to London. I think if you look at London and New York, the biggest difference is London's um, wealth um, a, a very large slice of that is international wealth. Uh, it, it tends to be a much more cosmopolitan um, marketplace, whereas New York is much more domestic. I mean, the reality is um, the amount of domestic wealth in the U.S. is just so much bigger than in the U.K. Um, so it, it, it tends to be a slightly more domestic uh, marketplace. Okay, and the report has also identified uh, growth in, I think the phrase is investments of passion, but, but luxury spending really, I, I guess, the classic cars and art and wine. Um, is, is, what's the forecast now for that going forward? Do you think that luxury goods will continue to climb? Well, the, yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of definitions, I think what we've talked about is, say, luxury collectibles. So it tends to be sort of classic cars and fine wine, as you talked about, but also, you know, antiques and art and so on. Um, and I think the reason why um, these sectors have, have seen such an uptick uh, in demand and, uh, and value is related to the financial cri crisis. I think after the crash, there was a nervousness around um, financial assets. Um, and I think there was a, a desire from not just the wealthy, but actually a much wider um, a number of investors to uh, look at uh, controlling um, uh, at least part of their, um, their their wealth portfolio. So actually, tangible assets, property, and, um, and and cars and so forth, have become much more attractive because there's an ability to kind of control, and even to some extent, um, um, actually enhance those assets. Um, particularly if you're say building a collection, uh, which can actually uh, become more valuable uh, than the uh, just the sort of sum of its parts. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely a switch, uh, I think, in investors' mentality towards trying to have uh, more control, uh, direct control over this, or at least some of their uh, um, investment assets. And they are seen as investments rather than just, you know, lifestyle benefits. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's this mixture. I mean, if we look at, say, property, I mean, luxury property in, in, in Ireland uh, or, or, or elsewhere, you know, one of the rationales for buying is um, is lifestyle. You know, you want to enjoy a nice property. Um, but actually, um, in the back of uh, most buyers' minds is the, is, is the hope that this is a good investment for the future and for the long term uh, for, for the family. So I think that's always there as a um, as that sort of combination of lifestyle and also investment. 
And finally then, I just wanted to ask you uh, about um, this uh, term, reputation management audits. That's something that your wealth managers are, are being asked to do for clients. What, what's, what's driving that demand? For I think there's a... Um, what we're noticing in, in say, the property sector um, is rather like the, the banking sector. There is much more interest in um, wealth as it moves around the world. I think there's much more oversight from governments and from, um, and from institutions to understand um, you know, sources of wealth um, and actually understand um, uh, where wealth is coming from and moving to. And I think that this, this issue of uh, governance and actually sort of cross-border governance and, and, and governments working together um, to understand the impact on, on, on wealth moving around the world is something which we're going to see more of over time. Um, and I think actually it's, it, it's one of those issues which means that markets like Ireland or the UK, where you've got very transparent property markets, um, I think it's, it, it's an area that gives an advantage to these marketplaces because actually um, increasingly there will be uh, emphasis placed on um, the ability of governments to understand where assets are located um, and uh, how wealth uh, is moving uh, around the world. So thank you very much for your time today, Liam. That's uh, Liam Bailey, Global Head of Research for Knight Frank. And that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast with me, Laura Slattery. My thanks to both of our contributors today. Sinead O'Shea produced the show and JJ Vernon was sound engineer. We'll finish off with a reminder that you can get the latest business news straight to your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email, and you can do that at irishtimes.com. Until next time, goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.